All right, we're back with another episode of Ryan Seaman and Friends, and uh, this episode is uh, it's really special to me. I've known this guy for a good while. You know, I don't I don't think we started to know each other too well until recently, but um, you know, over the years, I've been a huge fan of his drumming. You know, I've I've, I've toured with him a couple times, like on Warp Tour and things like that. When I was in a band called I Am Ghost, I think he was playing for uh, Saves the Day at that point when I met him. And uh, he's always just been a really stand-up guy. He's always been really cool and uh, gr- great fucking drummer. I looked up to him when he was in face-to-face. Uh, this is Pete Parada, everybody. Pete, thank you so much for uh, coming on my show, man. You know? Hey, thanks for having me. Glad I, to be here, man. I feel like everybody should have a voice. <laughs> <You know? laughs> How about so, that? Yeah, dude. So, um, you know, I think I think one of the first times I saw you play was uh, was I think it was like Warp Tour '97. And that's what that's what really got me into you guys. I think I think that year, you know, bands like Sick of It All were on there, and uh, Social D and the Boston's and uh, Blink was on the yep. side stage, and Limp Biscuit was on the side stage, things like that. Descendants, you know. Yeah, ninety seven. Um, that still would have been Rob, but um, that was like right. I joined in ninety eight. What? Yeah. Oh well. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Well, okay, so okay, then fine. Then then after that, the first time I would have saw you would have been um, you guys were out with like No Motive and Jimmy Eat World. Yes, yep. So that was the Ignorance is Bliss tour. That was man, that was rough. Yeah, I I was gonna say you guys did two shows. I went to the early show, and you know it was it wasn't as high attended as the the later show because the later show was sold out. I couldn't get tickets. So yeah, was, oh the uh, Salt Lake City, yeah, yeah, at, at Deviate. Yeah, yeah deviate before yeah. they change it to whatever yeah, yeah whatever it was yeah so yeah. well hey thanks for being <laughs> thanks for being on my show man i i really appreciate it but i want i want to talk to you about um so basically with with my show i try to get everybody's story about like how they you know how they came to where they are you know with with yeah. me yeah. I, with me it's like i grew up in salt lake city i was you know i got super into the punk scene um when i was like a teenager and that's kind of what shaped my whole life and then you know, it, it made me move to Los Angeles after that. And then everything else is kind of history, you know, but yep. uh, I just, I just wanted to get to know you better and get to hear about how, how everything's happened for you, you know? Oh, right on. I mean, how far back do you want to go? I mean, <laughs> let's, let's take it back to when you were like, uh, you know, getting started on drums and where your life took you from there. Okay, great. Well, my, my dad was a, a high school band director. So, um, and I have two older brothers and so I, I knew from a young age, like when I was in school, you know, it was like by the time you got to fourth grade, you had to pick your instrument and then you were going to be in the school band and stuff. And so my my oldest brother played the clarinet. My middle brother played the saxophone. And I had always just kind of been banging on pots and pans and things and like building drum sets and making noise around the house. But mostly at that time, I was like, I don't want to learn all those crazy fingerings on the saxophone and stuff. You know, I I like hitting things. I'll just play drums. Like I thought I was pulling a fast one on everybody. And, um, you know, and usually the, the drum, uh, section is full because that's kind of where they put people that they don't know what to do with. It's like, Oh, go, go in the back, you know, and (laughs) and then we're always getting in trouble because there's, you know, nothing to do, but, Mm. um, but yeah, thankfully there was room. And um, so in fourth grade, I just started, you know, with your rudiments and the practice pad and stuff and kind of got into it for real and had always played and this and that. And, you know, my dad got me a drum set in the, the end of sixth grade and uh, which I'm excited about because I just got that drum set back like a year and a half ago um, from the person I sold it to 30 years ago. <laughs> no way. What what and, What kind was it? And, it's a Yamaha. I don't. It was you know. It was from like '86, right? So it's <laughs> so a. Rap. It's just a black wrap. Um, you know, but it's a nice kit, a nice kit, which of course I sold to buy a bigger kit mm-hmm. that was terrible, right? That I <laughs> that I don't play. But I always was like, oh man, I got to get that first kit back. And my stepmom had kept track of where it was and and you know when it changed hands to people and whatever. And uh, so you know it came up. You know, she yeah. told the guy like, hey, if you ever want to sell it, you know, you let me know. And he's like, yep, I'm ready to sell it. So <laughs> she went and got it back for me. So okay. now it's in my basement. I see it every day here on my way into the studio. I love that. That's awesome, man. That really yeah. Is. But uh, I didn't get, you know, so I played drums and I started, you know, I was the one kid in town that had a drum set. Right. So then, you know, the other kid in town that has a guitar um, is like, hey, we're going to 
I'm going to form a band and you're the only one with drums. So you're going to be in the band. It's like, oh, OK, great. And an, another kid came to town who was actually pretty proficient on guitar. Like, you know, he could play like Sweet Child of Mine. So you're like, oh, OK, <laughs> wow, this guy's serious. Right. So, yeah. you know, we're a bunch of ninth and 10th graders, you know, trying to put a band together and learning cover songs and mostly just hanging out. And uh, so I didn't get serious about playing until I was, I guess, like a junior. Started my junior year in high school. A friend of mine dragged me out to see a, a, a band. So I was from like a tiny town of about 1,200 people. Yeah, where where did, where did you grow up? I grew up in upstate New York. So about a, okay. an hour south of Rochester mm. in a tiny town called Arkport. Okay. And uh, my dad taught at the big town next door, Hornell, that had about 10,000 people. Mm. And I think like Hornell is probably best known for the actor Bill Pullman, who was the president in Independence Day and stuff. He's from Hornell. Okay. So like he was one of my dad's first students when he started teaching and they, wow. they stayed friends, you know, the rest of my dad's life, which was really sweet. So when my parents yeah. would visit me in L.A., we would go to Bill's house and it was wow. nice. That's awesome. Um, he's a good dude. So um. My dad taught at the big school and I went to see this band play and their drummer just my jaw hit the floor. Like, here's this kid. He's a year older than me and just playing like every person on MTV at the time. You know, it's probably like 89 mm -hmm. um, that I always thought, oh, well, I can't play like that. I won't try. No one can do that. And then here's this kid that's doing it from, you know, the same area as me. And it just blew my mind because I'm like, well, why did I think I can't play like that? And I went home to my dad and I'm like, hey, is there, is there, you have a student named Mick in your class? And he's like, yeah, yeah, he's a really good drummer. I'm like, why did you never tell me about him? And my dad was like, because honestly, you've never been very serious about it. And he's real serious. I'm like, okay, ouch, but yeah. <laughs> point taken. But yeah, the next day, like I was so blown away and inspired by him that I just started practicing. I was just like, nope, this is what I do now. I come home from school and I just poured myself into it. And uh, so, yeah, his name was Mick Palmasano, and to this day is still the biggest influence on my drumming, still my favorite drummer I've ever seen, like outside of what he was doing then, um, like he always kept going and pushing limits like he was this drummer that never he never played anything typical, he never played anything boring, like he always pushed to do something interesting. Mm -hmm. And uh, so he was going off to. Uh, music school in Hollywood at the Musicians Institute and uh, we kind of became friends and so the year after he went there mm -hmm. um, then I got accepted in the same school and he had come home for the summer so we kind of got to hanging out and was like well why don't you move back out with me and we'll get an apartment together and took me under his wing which was amazing because so you, you know, went to MI yeah I went to MI from 91 to 93 how how was that for you because like for me I went to um I went to the LA Music Academy and I, I went for like three months and I had already done like, you know, I was like 18 or something. I went to like, you know, I, I was on the Warp Tour in 02, like right when I graduated from high school. Yeah. I was in this band on Lookout Records called the Eyeliners. And, uh, you know, I knew going into that tour that it was just going to be like my only, my only tour with them. And right. so, um, but then I just, after that tour, after meeting so many people on Warp Tour, I was like, maybe I should try to take the leap to LA. And I went to a music school, but I ended up dropping out like after, after three months, <laughs> you know? Yeah. It it depends. I mean, MI at the time was awesome because it was just a performing arts school, like, and you got out of it exactly what you were willing to put into it. So, you know, if you want it was open 24 hours a day, except I think on weekends it closed from midnight to 8 a.m. Mm -hmm. or something. But so if you wanted to go in and practice in the middle of the night, you could. And if you had a band that you were putting together and wanted to rehearse there, you could do that. Um, it was awesome. Like, I just... You know, I poured myself into all these styles I'd never played before, Latin and jazz and all this yeah. stuff. You know, I grew up on 80s metal, <laughs> yeah. so I'm all like super double bass drum kid, but not exactly coordinated on the jazz, you know, like falling off the stool trying to just do the, you know, ride and hi-hat beat. So really went in with a lot to learn and had the best couple of years of, of my life as far as that, like so much growth. And um and I was with, you know, my favorite drummer in the world who I just looked up to, like I copied everything that Mick did. I, mm -hmm. You know, he switched over to playing traditional grip, heavy metal style. And I was like, that's cool. I'm going to do that. I switched over to that. You know, he <laughs> moved to one bass drum. I did that. Mm -hmm. And um, but it, it, and 
bless his heart, he, you know, never got real, he never got frustrated about it because I was just like the dopey kid, just like, I'm going to do whatever you do. And it finally was like, hey, man, you have a lot more to offer than just being a clone of what I'm doing. And, um, and just kind of like blew my mind again of like, oh, damn, okay, that's not a fun conversation to have, but I appreciate that he did. And like, again, overnight, I, you know, switched back to match grip, I started blazing my own style, I stopped trying to be somebody else Mm -hmm. and found out, you know, my own voice on the drums and stuff, which is, you know, as you know, is still a lifelong excursion. Oh, yeah. But, um, but yeah, he was just the best um, to me, like I was from podunk, and all of a sudden dropped into Hollywood. I'd never even gone to visit, just got accepted at the school, knew, knew one person there and was like, okay, let's go. Right. So I was terrified when I got there and uh, he really like took me under his wing. Like we went to the grocery store and I was just like, whatever he put in his cart, I'd put it in my cart. He's like, <laughs> oh, it's like, shit, you, you have no idea what you're doing, do you? And I was like, no. And he's like, okay. All right. And again, just was like, all right, I, I was here a year ago. Okay, I get it. And just, you know, walked me through it and uh, just was, you know, uh, the best. Like I would not have survived a month without him which was 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 awesome it's rad kind of like a, like an older brother or something yeah okay. absolutely yeah. absolutely a lifelong brother um so then at at the school um one of my teachers there was uh ray luzier oh and yeah he, yeah so he had just graduated like a couple years before i got there and then they were really kind of pushing more of a rock program and trying to put it together so since he's you know, ridiculously yeah. amazing. They brought him in to kind of head that up. And um, so me and him hit it off and we were friends. And so after I graduated, um, then I moved in with Ray for a couple of years. No and way. we were roommates. Wow, yeah. that's so, crazy. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So we were roommates and now he lives about 10 minutes from me here in Franklin, mm-hmm. which is hilarious. <laughs> so we just always end up, you know, somewhere nearby each other, no matter what. Um, yeah. Yeah, so about two years after I graduated, the the MI was bought by uh, the ESP Guitar Company from Japan. Like they made it like you had to go to, to to community college along with it and take all these classes. Like it got away from what it was. It's just a really intense performing arts school, mm-hmm. and it turned into more of like a four year college degree kind of thing. And so you know, another one of my teachers, uh, Fred Dinkins, who was like the funk drumming expert. Um, and gospel drumming. And I mean, he, I mean, that guy played everything. He mm. was amazing. And and he, he really whipped me into shape there. Like I kind of wandered in there, you know, not knowing a lot about anything. And he was like, you know, like my friend Mick was like, okay, lost puppy, get over here. I'm going to, and you know, once a yeah. week we're going to meet and I'm going to, you know, drill you. And I was like, great. So I ran into him because I was working at a rehearsal studio in North Hollywood and he came through with a band and he's like, oh man, he goes, you went through your class was like one of the last ones that had it when the school was good. Like mm. everything has kind of changed and it's just not, it, it's not the same as what it was. So I was really fortunate to go through it when I did. Um, and uh, so it, it's, for me, it was a great experience. And and again, it's not, not for everybody. And, sure. and sometimes you can go to music school and come out like sounding like, like a cookie cutter of everybody else. And, you know, that was one of the, the things like when audition for face to face and Trevor was like, Oh, wow, you went to, we got to talking. He's like, I would have never guessed that you went to musicians Institute because you don't play like one of those guys. And I was like, yeah, I worked really hard to not mm-hmm. like, you can see it while you're there. Like, yes, I got to go through the curriculum and I got to pass my tests and I got to learn these patterns and things, but I, I don't want to come out on the other side sounding like 300 other people. Right. You know, you still have to hold. And, and again, that was my friend Mick really uh, putting me under his wing and saying, Hey, I, I'm a year ahead of you here. But I know you're really into jazz right now because it's brand new to you. But let's be honest, you're never going to be a jazz drummer. Don't forget what you're good at and make sure that you keep developing on that as well. And, you know, so it's just like uh, surrounded, like bombarded by good advice from him all the way through that process. So so when you were when you were in L.A. and you you completed music school, I mean, like, was it just like, okay, guns blazing? I'm going to go try to look for a band or like how how did that all like come about? Well, yeah, so I graduated school and then I moved in with Ray and mm. um, which was great because he was like the busiest drummer on the planet. Right. Right. And so he would when there was something that came up that either 
he wasn't interested in or he just didn't have time usually i mean he was interested in everything but <laughs> right. he would kick stuff down to me so you know i got a job bussing tables in beverly hills mm -hmm. and um and then on the side was playing in bands so um one of the first things that um i guess it was a couple things before them but the, the first band that really kind of clicked for me um was a, a like a kind of like a heavy king's x but okay. with you know like if you combine king's x and machine head that's what this band sounded like okay and um it was called world in pain and you know so we had you know made some demos and played shows and this and that but through that i met this guy vince who is still one of my best friends to this day and he plays bass for a body count now oh cool. uh, i see band. Mm -hmm. and so you know through that i met vince i got a and then i went from the i hated my job bussing tables because it was bussing tables right you weren't playing and, drums uh, yeah yeah so um through him i met um this guy mark zonder who was a drummer for fate's warning and uh and i he owned a rehearsal studio in north hollywood called bill's place and so then he offered me a job there like you know cleaning floors and parking cars and you know whatever and at first it was just like a place to store my drums and i'd go in once a week and clean the whole place and then i could set up and practice for the day and then eventually he's like hey why don't you come in and kind of be more you know i have more of a full-time position which mm. still was you know peanuts but i wasn't busting tables right. and i was around musicians and i you know and a lot of bands rolled through there i mean body count was there stone temple pilots were there i mean that's when they were still called mighty joe young um red hot chili puppers rehearsed there like all these wow. people were always rolling through this place so you were kind of at least in the mix being exposed to people even if you were still the the kid that you know parked the cars and scrubs the toilets sure um but that was a really a great jump for me to be in, in a place that was where at least i was surrounded by music all day that's awesome so then so then from from there i mean like how how did you how did you try out for for a band like face to face like how how did that come about so that funny enough they were rehearsing at bill's place okay and so they came through and they were auditioning drummers and i'd never played punk rock like i'm a metal guy right mm. and, it, and at that point i was still still a metal guy and um so they came through and they were auditioning drummers and i didn't think anything of it and they um got this guy jose medellis from 22 jacks mm. and um he went out and did a tour with them and a friend of mine uh, my other best friend takumi who's like guitar tech to the stars he knows everyone he was his friend was tour managing them on this run they did with reverend horton heat and so the tour manager calls me about a week into the tour and was like what is wrong with you and i'm like what are you talking about he's like these guys were rehearsing or auditioning drummers right under your nose why didn't you say <laughs> anything why didn't you sit in i'm like i don't know anything about punk rock and he's like well He's like, this guy can't stay. He's, you know, he's got other commitments. So they're, they're going to be doing a whole nother wave of auditions next month when they get back. And he's like, and they don't want punky punk rock. They want a rock drummer. They're going to make a weird record. I don't know. They're talking about mixing things up and they, they want somebody that can do both. So he's like, I'm, you're, I don't care what you say. You're getting an audition. I'm putting you on the list. So they came back, loaded their gear back in the building and they went through like 60 people. And oh. I was about the last person they auditioned. So I sat there all week listening to people audition right and they mm -hmm. gave everybody the same two songs and i didn't know any of their music and i didn't have any money mm -hmm. so when they moved back in i went into their room because i had keys to everything and i stole one of their live cds out of their merch box and i just <laughs> learned the whole thing that's awesome and yeah so by the time you know and you know they they were seriously it was like 60 people that week and wow, man. by the time i went in they looked pretty dejected like they'd been playing the same two songs all week and and then they see me walk in and they're like oh great now we're down to the guy that parks the cars and scrubs the toilets <laughs> right yeah and and then they're like awesome and i was like hey you guys have been playing the same songs all week do you want to play something else and they're like yeah what do you know and i was like well i, I know your whole live record so they just busted into one of those songs and i hopped right in and we played and when that song ended they just jumped right into another one without even saying anything and we blazed right through that and they stopped and the guitar player chad looks at me and he looks really angry and i was like oh shit, what did i do and he's like what is wrong with you i'm like I, I, did i play it wrong he's like you made us sit here all week 
rehear- like auditioning 50 people and you knew you were going to come in and do this. Why didn't you just save us the time <laughs> and say something sooner? And I was like, you know, instant relief from like, oh, my God, I feel terrible <gasps> to. Oh, because that was his sense of humor. And then <laughs> so then it just it kind of worked out from there. Like it was just a really good fit. And they, you know, true to their word, they were not making a punk rock record. Right. But. You know, to me, when I got their live record, I was like, oh, okay, this is just like, you know, kind of fast metal beats that you got to play with one foot. So, like, I can do that. Yeah, dude. That's... It made sense to me. And uh, so then we went and made this record, Ignorance mm-hmm. is Bliss, that was really adventurous. Yeah, I was going to say, out of all, <laughs> I got to be real, out of, out of all the, the records from Fit, that was like one of my favorite ones. And I know that, like, it wasn't commercially as successful as maybe some of the other you know, stuff. No, but I was a borderline career ender. (laughs) I loved that record. I really did. I thought it was really good. Maybe it was just like the wrong, wrong place, wrong time. But I think overall, like if you just never, if you never like, if you weren't like biased to face to face this career, there's tons of bands that like they make one record and then they're like, Oh, well we're going to go do this completely different thing. And then it's like, what the hell, you know, but if you get into the band at that time, you're like, wow, this is uh, this is really great stuff, you know, from a, from a songwriting perspective too. But, um, yeah. Yeah, I think it's aged well. Yeah. I mean, it's 20, it'll be 20, what, I don't know, it came out in, what, 99. So it's, you know, over well over 20 years yeah. old. And it sounds like, Trevor just gave me it on vinyl a couple weeks ago, and it sounds amazing. Like, sonically, oh, like, really ahead of its time, but not what anyone was wanting uh-huh. or expecting from face to face. Yeah, may- maybe you guys like and, paved the way, you know, <laughs> for other right. people. Well, nobody did side projects and things back then, but we didn't we wanted to make it a side project. It was like, hey, this doesn't quite feel like a face to face record. We're going to put it out under a different name and then the band's manager and record label were like, absolutely not, you know, you're <laughs> you guys are on a roll. We're putting it's face to face and we're like, okay. Yeah. You know, it just it didn't have what people were looking for. But like like I said, it's aged much better than yeah. at the time. It was tough. And like that tour that you saw us there in Salt Lake City, that tour was tough, man, because we were playing a lot of it. Yeah. And it was it was tough to sequence that material with their old material and make it sound cohesive. Sure. Yeah, I mean, but, there was yeah. a period where I saw you guys at Deviate, like, God, there's so many times, man. I remember seeing, um, well, we can talk about it when we come back from the break, but we have, there to, okay, go. I didn't even realize we have to go to a quick commercial. So, um, Pete Parade, everybody, and uh, we'll be right back here on Adobe Radio. <laughs> All right, we're back. Pete, how come you didn't tell me that story earlier, man? That's fucking, it's fucking nuts. Well, you know, just... there's, there's only so much time in the day. I'm just kidding. I'm sorry. I, I do this on every episode. I need to stop. I need, I need like I need like a new uh, a new shtick. You know what I mean? A new shtick on your way back from commercial. Yeah, I just I, I've done over a hundred of these already, and I've just done the same the same thing over and over. Uh, so. Well, sometimes it's fun. I met uh, Billy <laughs> Sheehan once, the bass player yeah. from like David Lee Roth and Mr. Big, and yeah, I was yeah. like, "Oh man, I I saw you guys in Rochester. You know, it was your drummer's birthday," and he's like. What? Oh, no, we do that every night. <laughs> yeah, I, I think uh, there's another band that did that, uh, Zebrahead. I remember being, yeah. I was in Japan, and I was like on vacation, and uh, the bass player, oh, it's Ben's birthday, it's Ben's birthday, and we went to this club, and he got a birthday cake, I'm like, it's really your birthday? He's like, no, we just do that, yeah, it's <laughs> kind of the same thing. Yeah. But uh, no, real quick, going back to that Ignorance is Bliss record, um, yeah, I just, I, I really thoroughly enjoyed it, and then I, I kept going to your guys' shows, but I remember like, dude, I, I used to see you guys like all the time. I remember like going to one of your shows in Salt Lake and like some 41 was opening for you guys and everybody yeah. like booed them at our show. Dude, so we, that tour. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I can't wait oh man. Those. That tour was amazing. It yeah. was like a 10 or 11 week run and it was face to face. Yeah. And the, the thing about face to face really quick is. Sure. They were really good at picking openers like new who had Trevor had always had his finger on the pulse. Like, oh who's yeah. Up and coming. Who's going to make a good show? That tour was ridiculous. We had face to face, alkaline trio saves the day, newfound glory. Right, I that must have missed the, the newfound glory part because they didn't. They right. didn't hit that well, Salt Lake show. Yeah, at so at, at a certain point, um, alkaline dropped off because they had to go record a record, and that's when some forty one showed up, and then newfound glory had the drop off towards the end because they had something else going on. So oh I, I think God. by the end it was just some forty one saves the day face to face. But yeah, some forty one shows up. Their first, as far as I remember, their first tour outside of Canada, 
and it was it, it was tough for any band to open for face to face especially in like southern california fans just were rabid for that band and hated ever like every band like matt skiba was like dude after uh, we played the glass house or something with them once and he's like I, I this is just the worst oh my god they hate us and we're like no you just gotta you know you gotta give it back right yeah. but some 41 really took a beating yeah they, did. they were <laughs> i'll never forget they were that. super green I think they were only playing like 25 minutes and uh, half of it was like Slayer riffs and a drum solo. And it was just like, oh, my God, guys. But they were kids. <laughs> they were kids. But then, you know, eight months later, they're all over MTV. So I'm like, yeah. what the hell do I know? You know? Yeah, no, I mean, dude, yeah, but I couldn't believe it. It was like I saw them like like the one of fucking four or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. I, I think I think new besides you guys, I think New Found Glory got like the best response of the night, like at least at my day, yeah. you know? Yep. Yeah, um, they they did great. I mean, everybody went went over well. It was just a a lot of it was regionally arguing who had to go on first, you know. But right. It was such a good bill that everybody was in the building from the get go. So it's not like whoever played first didn't have the crowd. No, for sure. Yeah, everybody was there super early and all that. Yeah. And then yeah, and then I would see you guys again with like you know another weird bill. You guys and like I think it was Snapcase was on the bill. It was yeah. Like Snapcase so and like snap- an explosion and you know um Yeah, Snapcase and H2O. Dude, that yeah. so Salt Lake. I yeah. believe it was Salt Lake. Is it the horticulture? Like, yeah, okay. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, at that place. That was weird. We did a Yeah, that whole tour was uh I it's think the massive. explosion was on part of it. Dashboard Confessional opened a good chunk of that tour <laughs> on one of their first runs. Yeah. And Man, talk about taking a beating. Like, I, you know, I still talk to Chris about it to this day. He's like, mm-hmm. man, that tour really toughened us up. Yeah. Because, I mean, they're out there doing what they do, which is great. Right. But it was, like, very strange to have this heartfelt acoustic trio followed by two hardcore bands <laughs> and then face-to-face. Right. Like, it was... It was rough. So I think those two weeks that they were out with us probably felt like two years. But, man, yeah. he every night, he won them over by the end. But it oh, was man. like at first people were like middle fingers and boo. And and then by the end of the show, everyone's like singing along and crying. So, you know, it's like <laughs> you, you could tell it was yeah. like something's I mean, the amount of bands that opened for face to face and went on to be gigantic was ridiculous to, to the point where it, it got we always joked, oh, if we ever do a farewell tour, I said, I'm going to start a new band and we're going to open so that I can, my next band can be huge. <laughs> and, yeah, you know, and I was doing face-to-face and saves the day at the same time by mm-hmm. the, our farewell tour. So no time for a new band. So we got a little band called My Chemical Romance to open. And what happened to them? Yeah, man. I mean, I feel like, okay, because like I, I seriously went to like all the shows. I was like just one of those kids back in Salt Lake. I feel yeah. like it was like you guys and less than Jake that always brought out like the best, you know, the best of the best, meaning like, you know, they, you just knew who was going to like hit or what was going to happen next for whatever band. Yeah. Know? Yeah. I, I mean, do. we put, we did Salt Lake a lot. It was a really good market yeah. for face to face. So yeah. I always, always loved going. There. Yeah. It was, it, dude. I mean, it was really great when I was growing up there. We just had a solid, solid community of people. Um, but going, going forward now. So you, it's so you tour face to face. Yeah, no, it was yeah. awesome, man. I mean, like I wouldn't change anything if I had to, to redo it all over again, being there, you know, I felt like it, I was like, I mean, the reason why I ended up moving to LA is I felt like I already did everything that I possibly could in, in that town, you know, like I was in like three bands yeah. at once. And like, you know, to your point, like I looked up to, uh, you, you had your friend that you used to look up to. My friend was, uh, at the time, Dan Whitesides. I don't know if you know him. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. So he was like in this band called new transit direction and they kind of sounded like burning airlines or like Jawbox and like, uh, you know, and I would go check them out at this little tiny place called Kilby court all the time. And, right. you know, so, and then eventually he would go on to, you know, be the drummer. The used, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But before that, I mean, he was like our, he was like our guy that we would all be like, wow, he's like the next like John Bonham, man. <laughs> like you just, you know, he's, I mean, killer. he's a crusher, just, yeah. just annihilating everything in his path. Yeah. I like yeah. watching that dude. Yeah. He's rad. So, okay. So going, going forward now, so you're, you're out on the road face space for many years. All this is happening. I mean, what, what happens next for you? So you're saying you, you did saves the day and face to face at the same time. Yeah. So, I mean, face to face was always, you know, things were good. Things were bad. We're up, we're down. And mm-hmm. Trevor was always like, Hey, you should figure out what you want to do next. We're probably going to break up the band. It was oh like, a, you know, an ongoing mantra. Right. So at one point I had joined alkaline trio 
And um, they were my favorite band. Like we took those guys out on tour with us and I just fell in love with them as people and their music. And um, they were in a bind um, when uh, Falumli left and they were supposed to open for Blink-182. This is 2001. And so they hit me up. They're like, hey, face face off the road. You know, and I'd seen them the night before in Anaheim and and made a comment because we hadn't been on tour for a while. And I was like, oh, find me a band that wants to tour. Right. And they were like, had just gotten, you know, we're having trouble with their drummer at the time who didn't want to tour. Mm. And so their light bulb kind of went off and they were they were like, hey, we got to do this blink tour. Can you do you want to come? And then it was like, yeah, join the band. And I was like, hell yeah, I'll do both bands. And, you know, we could make it work. And, you know, we could not make it work. But it was. But it was a great tour and I loved playing with them and and they're still still one of my favorite bands. But it was just like it became clear on that tour, like while I'm out there, then Trevor's like, hey, we got to make another record. We got to head right back in the studio. So it was like, OK, this isn't going to work out. And then they got Derek, which is perfect for them. Sure. Um, but it, like a year later, you know, we're back in the same situation. We would had done a tour of Europe with Face to Face that was really rough. And so, you know, um, a few months before saves the day needed a drummer when brian quit and they had to do it was the launch of the original xbox in mm. la and it it was us and pharrell and it was like <laughs> a show at universal studios but they were like we're just gonna play stay what you are um can you come and fill in like last minute we had like one day of rehearsal and i was like yeah no problem i'll learn your record and and we'll we'll make it work and when I sat and played with them, it just really clicked. I was like, oh, wow, I this I like this music. I like these guys like it just felt really nice. And they noticed it, too. And then kind of, you know, hit me up a little over the months of like they were going out with Weezer and Blink and, I'd, and it overlapped with a face to face tour. I couldn't do it. And then something else came up and it overlapped with face to face. I couldn't do it. But then, you know, we're coming back from Europe and Trevor's like, you know, um, what do you what do you think you want to do? you know, after this. And I was like, well, you know, I liked playing with Saves a Day. And he's like, well, you should call Chris. And, and um, you know, because it was always like, the sky, sky is going to fall or whatever. And uh, um, so I called Chris and I was like, hey, you know, what what do you think about us trying to to make this happen? And then so I ended up joining Saves a Day. And then, of course, then Face to Face wasn't done. And so and oh, at that man. point, I was like, you know what? We're with the same management. We're the same record company. Let's find a way to make this work because I don't want to keep joining bands and quitting bands, right? Yeah. So we we made it work, but it was just like for about two and a half years, I was nonstop either on the road or in the studio with one band or the other. So it was it was tough to have a life outside of work. But I, you know, I really I really enjoyed what I was doing. And uh, so, yeah. So then I started playing with Saves a Day in 2002. Mm. And um, and then again, came in on them like face to face, about to make their fourth record, about to make a bit of a departure from their uh original sound so why do you think like why do you think like real quick with with like somebody like trevor why do you think it was like doom or gloom because i'm gonna say like bands you know nine times out of ten bands fail but the ones that don't fail were the ones that were too stupid to stop you know what i mean yeah uh, so yeah and i i don't mean doom or gloom i I always found it comical and i think he did too well no i just sorry wrong wrong phrasing i what what i mean is like not doom or gloom but like why why do you think he always felt like oh this is it maybe you need to go because i mean like dude I'm the kind of guy that like I love playing with like a bunch of different bands because I feel like I become a better player that way and I get more yeah. knowledge and like like by the time this comes out, um, I will have already I did a tour with like Scott from uh, Real Big Fish. He has like this little lounge band with like horns and everything. So I I already I mean like right now this hasn't happened yet, but it's by the time this episode airs, it'll already have happened. But it's like you know I love putting myself in weird situations and his songs are crazy, man. He's got like weird time signature stuff like all over the place. Like, yeah, good luck with that. You know what I mean? <laughs> so I mean, like, I've I've already learned the songs. I've already like rehearsed with the guys, but um, but yeah, just just juggling all that knowledge all the time. You know, I'm sure you have to have like such a big repertoire of like, you know, you have to know 50 songs at any given point between like face to face and saves a day and stuff like that. So I'm just wondering, like, uh, I mean, how does one really make it all work? But that's rad that like somebody like Trevor was supportive of what what you wanted to do. You know, as opposed absolutely, to being, like, yeah, it was it was always like. Hey, you should do this. Hey, you know, talk to this person. Like, right. you know, Trevor and Scott, still some of my closest friends. I love those guys. And, um, you know, I loved that band. I loved the music. And we always had the best time on those tours, those shows, yeah. just cracking each other up constantly. It was great. By the way, I was going to say, sound the alarm, man. <sighs> what a what a record. Just just you, you're playing. It just it sounded just live and raw and uh, 
Yeah. Thanks. I I love that record. Like for me, like in Reverie, the the previous record that you know was their fourth album departure pissed everyone off. Same mm-hmm. story again. Yeah. That was a hard record for me. Um, I don't I don't like my playing on that record. I don't and and even Chris would would admit at this point, like that record didn't come out how it, we would have wanted. We probably needed more time to have some more songs, but the producer that had done Stay What You Are, they wanted to work with him again. And he had a very small window where he could fit us in. And, you know, and we, so we did, you know, we did what we could, but it just, it, it wasn't what it should have been. And so for Sound the Alarm, for me, I really was like, no, we need to, we need to charge back. We need to fire again. And, and so, and Chris was fired up to, you know, get heavy, get weird and try to kind of get some of that spirit back that was lacking on, on in reverie. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I really like sound the alarm. I, I played some of it for my youngest daughter recently on a road trip. And I was like, man, I still like this record. Oh, yeah. Cool. Yeah. I think it's yeah. really good. <laughs> Thanks. That was, that was all done. Was that all done in like a lot? I'm trying to remember if I, if I like read this somewhere or not, it was just all done in like a live setting. Right. Um, sound the, sound yeah. the alarm. Mm-hmm. We built our own studio up in, uh, Chris had moved to a town called Chico mm-hmm. in Northern California, where his wife was from. And, um, and he had this garage guest house behind his house. So we had converted the garage into a studio and made the record there ourselves. Like Steve Evitz came up to produce who mm-hmm. had done, um, their first two records. And so it was cool. It was kind of like, you know, let's write the ship. Let's, you know, course correct, get get back to the roots of the band working with someone who understood what the band started from. And so it was really cool to have yeah. Steve there to kind of steer, steer the the car back on the road if, if for lack of a better term. And so, yeah, it wasn't necessarily recorded live per se face to face. The last record I made with them, we did, we did record that record live to a 16 track, two inch. Oh so God. everything was, and we had like um, the, everything was blasting the drums were blasting through a pa in the room and so all the instruments were mixing together so basically they had to be keeper takes on all three of our parts right so if any if anybody messed up then we had to restart um there wasn't any like punch in and fixing and (laughs) i i wasn't i was real skeptical of it going in because i'm like you know how it is with drums like Mm -hmm. your first couple takes are probably your best one and if somebody else keeps (laughs) fucking up right yeah. And you're like, well, my best takes are behind me. But thankfully, yeah. we we didn't run into that. Like, we were really rehearsed. I mean, that was the thing with Face to Face. When we went in to make a record, we worked fast because we spent months rehearsing and demoing and knowing exactly what we wanted to do. So it was just a matter of going in and nailing it down. I love that. Uh, yeah. That's great. So, so, yeah. so let's, let's take you through the journey. So now after, after Saves the Day is happening and all this stuff, like what's, what's next on your, on your palette? So saves the day at the time. Like um, we did, I did both bands for a couple of years. And then in 2004, face to face was like, Hey, we're going to do a farewell tour. Let's wrap this up nicely, put a bow on it and then put it to bed. And was like, okay, great. We'll do that. And then, um, and that was right after in reverie had come out. And, um, and so after face to face wrapped up, then it was time to try to put saves the day back you know, put the car back on the road mm-hmm. um, from in reverie. And so I moved up to Chico and Dave and Evan um, have moved up there as well. And we rented this apartment and we worked with Chris and we were kind of like, you know, dragging a record out of them, like kind of putting things back together. Cause we were all really shellacked from the beating that we took from in reverie. Like it really, yeah, that record just really pissed people off. And um, so it was, it was tough to kind of get our bearings again and, and start putting something together. And and as the record came together, you know, Eben wasn't really happy with the direction of things. And so he kind of, you know, removed himself or he was mm-hmm. part, we parted ways with him, however okay. you want to want to put it. And, um, and, you know, so then it was just me and Chris and Dave really writing this record and, and getting it together. Um, but so after that, then we, you know, we, we toured on it. We got Manny Carrero, uh, from Glassjaw came in to do bass and then, you know, joined us on tour. And, you know, so I, I loved the music in that band. Um, it was just like personalities got to be difficult and, okay. you know, and that can happen 
happen in any band and it's it's not always a bad thing sure. like to me you know what do they say no spark no fire like if there's not some kind of struggle then the music suffers if everybody's just like that's good enough or you know then mm -hmm. it sounds like that's good enough you know so you want that you want a little push and pull to make sure that everybody wants things to be as good as they can uh eventually the you know it just got to a point where the the drama outweighed the enjoyment of the music for me and i i had to remove myself okay. from from there and and you know and i didn't I didn't leave to join another band. I had no other prospects. I was honestly so upset uh, where things were that I didn't want to play music at all. Like I was like, told my wife, I'm done. I'm going to go, you know, work at Costco or I'm going to be a paramedic or like, I was just like, I don't want to play music. So, you know, a lot of people think, oh, he quit saves the day to join the offspring. But I, I did not. I quit saves the day because I needed to quit saves the day. Okay. And I had no other prospects or anything on the horizon. And then a few months later, then I started taking calls and meeting with people and and then, you know, the offspring thing worked out. So, yeah. And then you would, you would spend, you'd spend many years on the road. I mean, were you, were you doing other stuff besides offspring as well? Like were you able to find time to like fit another Yeah, I, I was able to do stuff where, where I had time. Um, like, you know, I went to fill in with my chemical romance when Bob was really, really injured, like his wrists were messed up. Oh, man. And basically they were like, we have a tour that a month in Europe that starts in two days can you get on a plane in two hours and learn our set on the plane? We're going to have one rehearsal. And so it was like, yeah, yeah, I had time. So I, you know, took a red eye from California to New York, made all my notes on the plane. We had a rehearsal one day in New York city and then all got on a plane to Europe and we had one sound check in an arena and hit the ground <laughs> running. Like it was, it was nuts. But, and so I had my little notebook with me on stage every night because we had a big marching drum over to my left for the black parade stuff. Oh my God. And I couldn't so, even imagine I, that much pressure, man. I mean, like I've only been in that situation, maybe, you know, three or four times in my life where a band calls me they're like, Hey, can you like come out? Our drummer fucking left us on the side of the road or like, you know, the yeah. drummer punched the singer in the face and now, you know, things are weird and we need to get through this tour or whatever. And yeah, uh, yeah, it's just, it's fucking nuts, man. I, I remember having to have a laptop on stage reading, um, you know, all my little notes yeah. that only made sense to me. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And what, whatever gets you by, man. And yeah. like, and my note process is like, it would make, looks like a bunch of weird, yeah. you know, shit. Like no, it wouldn't make sense to anybody else. But for me, I'm just trying to like, in the midst of 10,000 people screaming, uh, let me look at this piece of paper and make sure that I know where the song is going kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it, it worked out great. I mean, I love those guys. I love their music. So for me, it was really easy to learn the songs quickly because I, you know, I was already a fan. So I had been listening to those records. I was familiar with the song. So it was just like, all right, let me nitpick fills and transitions and arrangements and make sure I've got it down. But that that was awesome. Yeah, I mean, they, like, they were great. And yeah. yeah, were you were you on were you on tracks? over there was that like no okay no they didn't they didn't have any tracks or anything which was cool they they did have they had like a, a click running on some songs mm. because they wanted things to be a certain tempo but there wasn't any tracks there wasn't any like you know vocals or anything firing they just had a laptop and the you know they would put the set list in order and, and a couple of the songs like mama and stuff where there's a drastic slowdown with the heavy section like they wanted things in a specific way so they had this thing programmed to play along to but the the first night with them um the first song was attached um to to the lights right so that everything yeah. came in on the downbeat and we had rehearsed just the song and to the click and whatever. So in my ear, I'm hearing, you know, they're like, yeah, you're going to hear two voices. One, two, three, four. And on the second one, you count us over the one, two, three, four. I'm like, okay, cool. But when we got up on stage to do with it attached to the intro, uh -huh. now there was a third set of four that no one warned me about. Oh, shit. So I'm like, I hear the first one and I'm like, okay. And I start counting the second one and it didn't sound right. And Mikey, the bass player kind of looks at me and I can see on his face. He's like, oh, we forgot something. And so I started the thing and nobody came in. And then I just counted the the third four because I heard the voice keep uh -huh. going and then we were fine. But it was stuff <laughs> like that where you're like, yeah. man, there's no time to prepare for this. 
thank God it wasn't a train wreck. Yeah. Right. Cause, and that, you know how yeah. it is. It's like, well, totally. oh, we counted in, nobody came in. I'm counted yeah. again. Let's just, we'll just keep I going. Know, right. Okay. So we got to go to one more commercial break. And then when we come back, this is going to conclude the interview with uh, Pete Parada. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back here on Adobe radio. <laughs> Pete, an- another really great story. You just couldn't share, you know, I don't know. Yeah. Well, it's not for everyone. It's not, you know, <laughs> God, I dude, I can't, I can't believe we're we're almost out of time, man. We got like we got like eight minutes left on this show, isn't that fucking? <laughs> We've barely crazy? gotten through it. But. I know, no, no, it's it's okay. <laughs> well, okay, I want to talk to you about uh, your new band that you're doing as well. I want to talk about the Defiant. Yeah. What, what what's going on there? So the Defiant is uh, it's my new band with Dickie Barrett from Mighty Mighty Boss Tones, Greg Camp from Smash Mouth, uh, Joey LaRocca from the Briggs, and Johnny Rio from Street Dogs, among many others. Damn. Um, and it's rad, dude. I mean, Dickie reached out to me last spring and was like, hey, I, I get a good vibe about you. Like, you know, we had bumped into each other over the years with Boss Tones face to face and and Saves Day, different bands, and whatever, but we didn't really know each other. And he's just like, I have this idea. I want to put a, a this band together. He's like, do you know Greg Camp? And I'm like, no, I, I mean, I know of him, but I've never met him. And he's like, well, he lives in Nashville, too. He's like, I want us to start writing together and, um, and you know, see where it goes. And then he brought in Joey and Johnny later mm-hmm. in the summer as things started to progress. And um, it's really cool. And I'm I'm super excited about it. Like, you know, we did all the drums here at my studio and then Dickie came out and did all his vocals here. And um, but a, a lot of it has just been kind of flying tracks around and sessions around and getting everybody's uh, input on it and having everybody put their stamp on it. But it's really, really interesting. The like the sound, it's what you would expect. Like, you know, Dickie's voice, as soon as that comes in, you're like, all right. I, I got that. And yeah. like, I'm really, I'm excited about my drumming. Like for, it's been a while since I felt like, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to play this how I want to play it. Like, you know, when you're a, a hired guy for a long time, you're, you have your script and you stick to it. Sure. And so it was refreshing to, to just kind of like get these songs and be able to work on them here myself. And I would send the drums back and be like, Hey, let me know if it's too much or whatever. And everybody was like, no, that's amazing. That's perfect. So it was really fun to kind of stretch out and and work on different styles because this album covers a lot of a lot of different stuff like it's not traditional punk rock it's not traditional rock it's not you know it's not ska it's Mm -hmm. it just has a a flavor of everything and all the songs are really catchy and um you know the the mixture of the five of us together every, every you know i've played the what I think is going to be the first single for quite a few people. And everybody has the same reaction of like, Holy shit, this is awesome. So uh, I'm, I'm excited about it. You know, we're, we're finishing up mixing right now. Um, I'm not sure when, when this is going to air, but I'm this hoping is coming out in spring. like April. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. Great. Yeah. yeah. So I, I would think late spring, early summer, we're looking for a release and then, you know, start thinking about doing shows and putting stuff together, but it's just been really cool from a a drumming perspective and a songwriting perspective to work with these guys where like everybody's cool everybody's uh, you know on the same page of making this as as good as it can be and it's just been a lot of fun to you know be on a project from the ground floor like I've I've been always been the guy that's brought in you know when the drummer's getting replaced right right you know I've never really been there for the ground floor of anything whether it was face to face or saves a day or, or offspring or anybody like that um so it's been really cool to be like, oh, I'm going to be on every song of this band. I'm not coming in to play somebody else's parts. These are all going to be my parts. And it, that's been really exciting for me. And they're just all sweethearts as people, too. So um, it's really reinvigorated my love for music again and why I started doing this in the first place. I, dude, I, lo- I love hearing that. That's, you know, that's only happened to me a handful of times in my life. But it was always like it was still always like someone else's vision you know yeah at the same time so i mean being a drummer though it's like people don't understand how many different roles you really take on being a drummer it's like okay i'm gonna learn this person's song but i'm learning this thing and then maybe they want me to add some of my own stuff and yeah it's just a but a lot of it is anticipating needs too right right? like we're a support position so you have to you know you get to know your singers like well, what what does this person need to feel comfortable on stage what do i need to do to take this off of their plate so they can do their best performance like you are always 
listening to what everyone is doing. You're pacing the show. How much time before the next song should start? Like, there's so much that goes on, but besides just your ability on the drums, you know, and and in certain situations, like if you're a hired gun, you're hired, yes, for your ability to play your instrument, but you're also hired to do what you're told, you know, to follow right. a script. And, and you know, sometimes that's fine. And sometimes that gets to be soul crushing and you just want to be able to kind of let loose and feel creative. And, you know, it feels like that's where I'm at right now, which is really exciting. I, I love that for you just because I've known you for a long time and you've, you've always just been a stand up guy. You know what I mean? Thanks, man. Um, yeah. So you got good character and you're fucking you're you're a great drummer, man, you know, um, through and through. Uh, well, I guess what's what's the best way for everybody to find you on the uh, the old socials if they want to follow like your band and you and. Yeah, else? I'm easy to find Twitter, Instagram, um, just at Pete Parada. And um, the Defiant is uh, the, the Defiant official at Instagram and uh, the Defiant USA at Twitter. Um, I'm not on Facebook, so I don't know how, how all that works, but mm -hmm. yep, th that's where to find me. I love that, man. So, I mean, like we, we have, we have like two minutes left in the show. Uh, yeah. so you, you guys think you're going to be playing shows this year? Do you guys see yourselves being on the road heavy or is this just kind of like a, you know, a fun... I think I, yeah, we're looking forward to that right now. Everybody is still in like, get the record finished mode. Mm -hmm. So we're, we're almost to the point where it's like, okay, now everything's recorded everything's being mixed like let's uh how do we roll it out and when do we start playing shows are you, so are you guys trying to the next phase okay are you guys trying to find a label or are you putting this out um or... it's coming out on acceleration which is oh, okay. uh joseph and bill armstrong from side one dummy it's um, oh great that's basically where side one ended up so yeah they were on board super early on stoked on what we were doing and um yeah, so they're gonna acceleration's gonna be putting it out um through Joe and, and Bill. I love that. Okay, and then re real quick, we since, since we have like a minute left of the show, what's what's any kind of advice you would give somebody that's uh coming up in music? Um, don't be afraid to speak your mind. Like you know, if you if you're working with people, you want them to know who you are, you want them to know that you believe in something, like don't don't water yourself down to to fit into a situation because eventually it's going to become a problem and you're going to you're going to wish that you had been more of yourself earlier because you're going to feel more a part of 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 that band and if you know if being who you are doesn't fit in there then um you know then it's probably not the right situation find something that is dude i <laughs> such good advice man you know but Thanks. uh well, cool. Then everybody check out uh, The Defiant and Pete Parada on, on the old internets. And uh, Pete, thanks again for making time for me. I know, I know that you're, you're an extremely busy guy these days. And, uh, uh, you know. My pleasure, man. So Love talking to you. Cool. All right. Well, uh, Gone Fishkin is coming up next here on Adobe. And you can catch my show every single Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 o'clock Pacific, only on Adobe Radio every single week. Isn't that crazy? Every week. So, all right. Thank you so much, Pete. And uh, we'll see you next time on Ryan Seaman and Friends. Thanks. Thanks so much. Thanks, man.